Well, if you're new and just join us for the first time, I'm happy to tell you we are a hand-raising church, so you're in the right place. Amen? Yeah, we like to have fun at the gathering. Uh, we're in our second week of our Faith Without Limits series, where we've been learning how to live in the fullness of Christ, really living beyond the limits we put on ourselves, living beyond the box. Now, last week, we saw what it was to be a church that lives beyond the box, to really live in the spirit. And this week, we're going to learn how to be a church that worships beyond the box. But is worship really that big of a deal? I mean, does it really matter to God? Answer, yes. How much? So much so that he reserved worship for himself alone. Jesus said in Luke 4.8, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship is for God alone. Now, praise is a little different. Praise can be reserved for God, but it can also be reserved for a, a, a child who, who does a, a, you know, one of your kids who does a great job on his, gets a good report card. We can praise him for that. We can, we can praise a spouse for, for making a good meal, right? We can praise God. See, praise is a little different. Praise speaks to what God has done or what someone has done, where worship speaks to who God is. It's a little more intimate. And uh, we can think we praise God for, for the fact that he is good. He is holy. Who else do you know that's holy? Who else do you know that's righteous? I mean, we put on that stuff. We do that here and there. But God is always holy. God is always righteous. God is always good. And therefore, he's the only one that's worthy of worship. The Greek word for, for uh, worship is proskuneo, which means to bow down, to crouch, or to, to, to fall flat. And isn't that an interesting thought, a mind picture, to think that to elevate God, we actually have to lower ourselves. And not lower ourselves in such a way that we're like beating ourselves up. God doesn't want us to do that. But lower ourselves in terms of our priority. Like God is more important than us. God is more important even than our family, our spouse. He is the only one that's worthy of worship. And here's the point. As we elevate God, as we really worship God in our life, something happens to us. We're changed and others take notice. Now, make no mistake, worship is for God, but something happens to those around us. Here's the big idea. Our worship impacts our world. Say that with me. Our worship impacts our world. And we're going to see that lived out in Luke, or in Acts 16, rather. Acts 16, if you've got your Bible. If not, we've got the verses on the screen for you. We're going to see this happen to, uh, to Paul and Silas. Man, we're going to see these guys and how their worship in the, a very difficult time, by the way, how it impacts the world around them. Acts 16. So Paul and Silas, they were witnessing in the Roman colony of Philippi when a female slave uh, who was demon-possessed and who would allegedly predict the future, she, she was following them all around Philippi. And they were getting kind of tired of it because she was heckling them. And, uh, and then just let me pause there. When someone says they can predict the future like a, a psychic, so to speak, that's a bunch of baloney. Uh, only God is omniscient, all-knowing, right? Only God has foreknowledge. The demons don't know what's going to happen. Satan doesn't know what's going to happen. God knows what's going to happen. And so I know uh, some of you listen to Camel 107.9, and they have a psychic on there. 
Don't waste your time. Listen to her. Listen to country music. That's fine. But the psychic, she's psyching you guys out. So don't, don't, listen, don't give her the time of day. They don't have foreknowledge. So Paul's annoyed, right? He's annoyed by this, this, this lady. And so under the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of Christ, he removes the demon from her. Well, now her slave owners are mad. Why? Because she was their meal ticket. And now they can't make money. So what do they do? They go to these Roman officials, these friends in high places, and they talk them into having Paul and Silas imprisoned. But before they were imprisoned, they were stripped, the Bible says, beaten with rods, severely flogged, then thrown in prison with their feet, feet fastened in stocks. Some nice guys, huh? Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, and they rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in, the, in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and, his, and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Lord, thank you. As we get into your word tonight, God, that you would just help us learn how to worship beyond the box, and in doing so, how to impact our world. God, teach us something new, something fresh from your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, beyond the box, worship happens in the darkness of life. If you're taking notes, write that down. Beyond the box, worship happens in the darkness of life. Look at verse 25. Midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now think about this, guys. Let's put this in perspective. They were just beaten. They were just flogged. They're a bloody mess. And what do they do? They put on a worship concert for Jesus. Like, who does that? You know, there's no PA system, no road manager, no seafood tower, no red M&Ms in the green room. Uh-uh. No crowd. I mean, they had the other prisoners, and they were a captive audience. I'll grant you that. But they had every reason not to praise God, right? I mean, in a, in a human standpoint, from a human perspective. And what do they do? They're like, you know, we're going we're to praise God right here. We're a bloody mess, but we're going to praise him. I think of my response, man, what would I have done? I mean, let's just be real. I'm thinking I might have whined a little bit. I'm thinking I might have grumbled and complained and said, God, I'm out there witnessing, and you allow me to be thrown up in this jail? Like, what's that about, God? They didn't whine. They didn't grumble. They didn't complain. They sang to Jesus. Here's a newsflash. Worship sounds sweetest when the conditions are worst. 
And yet, ironically, that's, that's the time at which it's hardest to give, right? It's hardest to worship God when the night is the darkest, when the, when the, when the, when the situation is the most difficult, when there's a lot of turmoil, a lot of drama in our life. It's the hardest to give God praise in that moment. And yet to God, oftentimes it means more in that moment. I think of David in 2 Samuel 24. Remember when he was going to go by the threshing floor and the oxen and he was going to offer the sacrifice? And the guy's like, oh, you're the king. You can have it for free. What did he say? He said, uh, I don't want to offer God something that costs me nothing. Like God wants, God's okay, man. I'm just telling you right now. God's okay if we hurt. Now, he's not a mean, vindictive, diabolical God that beats us up with a baseball bat. But if we experience a little bit of hurt, a little bit of pain through the path of obedience, like he's okay with that. He's all right. And he's watching us. And he's saying, in the darkness of our night, in the dire straits, will you worship? Will you worship me then? Charles Spurgeon said it this way. A fool can sing in the day. Any fool can sing in the day. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. Someone can relate to that right now. Somebody's going through something where you feel like, man, it's dark. Like I'm trying to sing. I'm trying to read the words, but man, it's so dark in my life. I can't even see the words. It's in that moment where you're, you just got to cry out to God. Not from a place of, of, you know, perfection or a place of happiness. Sometimes when we follow Christ, we're not always happy. Happiness is not the goal. Holiness is the goal. Happiness is a byproduct of holiness. We seek holiness. We seek God, right? And at times, many times, we're happy. But if we're seeking happiness, we're, we're going down the wrong road. And here's the cool thing. Did you know that there are some things we can do on earth that we cannot do in heaven. You have a window of time to worship God in a unique way. You say, well, wait a second. I know that we're going to be worshiping God in heaven for the rest of our lives. True, that's true. But not the same way we worship him here. That, the worship in heaven, that's a complete praise. We will be delivered, right? You can't be delivered in heaven. You're delivered to heaven. The deliverance happens down here. That's an earthly phenomenon. As is worshiping in the midst of pain. Revelation 21.4. Ain't no pain in heaven. God says he's going to wipe away all the tears. Amen. Amen is right. And I long for that day. And, and I can't wait where there's, to be a place where there's no more sickness, no more death, no more cancer, no more hurt, no more pain. Like I long for that. But you know what? We got a window of time to do something ra rather remarkable here and now. And that is to do something that the angels can't do, to worship in the presence of pain. Whew. Like, I, you know, I know it's tough. I'm not saying it's easy, man. It stinks sometimes. But like, we can do that and we can make it count. But it's raw. I mean, worship on earth, it's raw. It's in the midst of, of, of danger and despair and loss and tragedy. It's not easy. But we have this unique opportunity. Don't squander that. Don't waste that unique opportunity. Because so many of us do. You know what we do? We end up playing, let's make a deal with God. We're like Monty Hall. Remember Monty Hall? You got a picture of Monty Hall? 
the late Monty Hall. Some of you young folks know it as the host is Wayne Brady, right? We play Let's Make a Deal with God. We're like, God, I'll make you a deal. I will worship if, if you uh, remove the sickness, if you remove the, the financial issue, if you fix my relationship, if you uh, help me with my addiction, if you make my wife love me, if you do that, I'll worship you. And God says, oh, no, my name is not Monty Hall. God says, worship in, not if. Worship in the midst of all those things because it's right smack dab in the middle where you will find Jesus, where he will be waiting for you and saying, okay, now we're ready to do something, something that I otherwise could not have accomplished apart from suffering, apart from the pain, apart from the drama. Now, sometimes there's self-induced stuff where we do dumb things. We got to pay the consequences for our own stuff. I ain't putting that on God. But there are times when you are obedient, you are faithful, you are just, you are righteous, and you go right smack dab in the middle of a jail cell. What, what do we do to deserve that? Nothing. You were obedient. Congratulations. But you're going to find yourself in prison. You're going to find yourself in the darkness. You're going to find yourself in a place where there's no light. What do you do? You separate the kids from the adults. The spiritually mature from the immature, you worship beyond the box because it's in that place, in the darkness of life, that beyond the box worshipers thrive. Number two, beyond the box worship moves the hand of God. Check this out. Verse 26. I love this. Suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I mean, think about that. Don't read that like it's fiction. I mean, that really happened. And, and let me illustrate this. Here's what happened. This is the jail. This is the cell. This, the whole jail in Philippi, right? And all of a sudden, Paul and Silas, they're worshiping their tails off, and it reached God. Like, God saw it. God heard it. And he's like, that's pretty cool. And so he goes to Michael, his archangel, you know, the big dog of all angels. He's like, should I do it? Should I do it? He's like, yeah, I think you should do it. Push the button. What do you think, Gabriel? You think I should do it? Gabriel's like, oh, yeah, I think you should do it. Right? And so the rumors start getting out in heaven. He's going to do it. He's going to push the button. DEFCON 1. Here we go. And then the hand of God moved by worship. He pushes the button. And it, my wife bought me that for, uh, for uh, Christmas. And, yeah. <laughs> Worship moves the hand of God. He pushed the button. Now, the question you should be asking yourself is, would he have pushed the button in the absence of their worship? Had they not put on the worship concert, would he have pushed the button? Answer, we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. But I suspect, well, and first of all, let me just point out, he would have loved him just as much, right? Whether they worshiped him in that moment, he, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Some, some of you just need to hear that right now. You are loved. Not because you do something, not if you do something, if you do more of this, give more. Stop. That's man-made garbage. 
That's religious spirit mumbo jumbo. God loves you. You are loved. So he wouldn't have loved him anymore. But I suspect that he probably would have freed them, but not that way. I don't think he would have done it that way. Here's what I'm getting at. God's response is often commensurate to our worship. Listen to me. This is a a deeper thought I want you to kind of think through. God's response is often predicated or, or, or at least equal to the way in which we worship. Now, he loves us. doesn't mean He doesn't love us anymore. But beyond-the-box worship often produces a beyond-the-box response from the God we love. So don't you dare whine. But why, why isn't God showing up in my life? Why does he always show up in his life? Or why does he always do stuff to her? You know, like, like these great... Well, you haven't seen the way she worships. <laughs> you haven't seen the way he, he, he gets before God and drops to his knees when no one's around. He doesn't, he, he doesn't tell you about that because it's between him and God. You haven't seen the way he suffers, long suffers through hurt and through pain, never Casting stones at God and saying, but, but looking up and saying, God, I, I just know you have a plan. I just know you're in this. I, I don't know how. I don't know how it's going to work. You don't know the way people worship because it's between them and God. And that's exactly the way God likes it. He doesn't want it to be public. It's a special relationship that we all have with God. And so beyond-the-box worship will produce a beyond-the-box response. I'm going to tell you, this year, I've seen God show up more than I've ever seen him show up. Amen. I, I, and, and, I, and I could... Uh, you're lucky, you know, I have a time limit because I could talk for a long time this year specifically what God has done in my life. What changed? Well, God allowed me to walk through something very difficult. And in that place, like I learned to worship. And here's the thing. I was a worship pastor for the love of God. I can lead you in worship publicly, but I wasn't very good at it privately. Well, someone say Amen. I was a professional. I know how to do but But there was a, a level of worship, a level of intimacy that I was missing. And when I when he went to that place with God, to where I'm like, God, this is dark. And if you don't show up, I'm in trouble. Like that deep despair, like I need you, God. God's like, finally got you right where I want you. That's how God is, man. I've seen, we've seen healing in our family. I've been delivered from a burning city. We birthed a church. We merged a church. We've seen church growth. And that's just some of the public stuff. There's a whole bunch of private stuff that God's been doing. I'm not going to tell you because it's none of your business. (laughs) Worship moves the hand of God. You want to be a beyond-the-box person? You go to that level with God. You know, wherever it is with you, wherever it occurs, you really begin to worship him. And you'll see God show up in a, in a miraculous way. Look at verse 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, why would he do such a thing? Why? Because Roman law dictated that if a, a, a jailer allowed someone to escape under his care, he would receive the same punishment as the person who escaped. And so we can assume that there are likely people in that jail that day with uh, capital punishment offenses. 
And so rather than them kill him, eventually, he just said, I'm going to take my life. But listen to, listen to Paul. I love Paul, man. Listen, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Do you know how dumb that sounds? Guys, God pushed the button. Chains fell off. Doors open wide. Run! Right? Run! Make a break for it. I mean, the best movie of all time, in my opinion, the best movie ever made, Shawshank Redemption. It was rated R, so you shouldn't have watched it. But great movie. And it was Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, who crawled through 500 yards of... Put it up there. Come on. Come on. Yeah, that's a picture from the movie. 500 yards uh, through all forms of ungodliness, right, to freedom. And these jokers are in there, and they won't walk five feet. Why wouldn't they escape? Why wouldn't they make a run for it? Why? Listen to me. Because their freedom wasn't about their freedom. Turns out their freedom was about the jailer's freedom and his family's freedom. Sometimes God is doing something in your life that isn't for you. And we're too busy patting ourselves on the back. Look what God did for me. And God's like, stop. It's not for you. It's supposed to move through you to bless somebody else. Yeah. Man, we are not always the recipient uh, and the end user of God's love and grace. I mean, oftentimes we are, and you're looking at the chief abuser, right? But, but sometimes God just wants to do something through you. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to let this blessing come through you because he, he wants to impact the world. He could do it himself, and sometimes he does. But oftentimes, and most often, he doesn't. Most often, he uses broken people like me to do, to do something great, broken people like you to do something great. Because he gets the glory in it. Because people look at us and like, whoa, what happened to him? I knew him. I knew John when he was in middle school. He's a pastor? <laughs> Sorry, Mrs. George. Yeah, it was a bad day. But their worship impacted their world. And lastly, beyond the box worship is contagious. It's contagious. Look at verse 30. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and all his household. All because two people said, you know what, I'm not going to whine. I'm not going to grumble. I'm not going to complain. All because of their worship, a jailer and his whole family would accept Christ. And their lives would be changed forever. And not just them, because hang on, 
If you look in, in verse 26, if you remember the prisoners, their chains fell off too. Right? It says, everyone's chains came loose. How many prisoners were there? I don't know. But they were freed as well. How many of them came to Christ? I don't know. One? Five? Maybe all of them came to Christ. Don't tell me. Don't you tell me. It doesn't matter how I go through it so long as I get through it wrong. It matters how you go through things in life, how you walk through trials, how you walk through tribulations, how you walk through the storms, the inevitable storms that God, by the way, promised us. Don't act surprised. You call yourself a Christian. He says, carry your cross. Oh God, how could you send this? It's what we signed up for. Stop whining. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. God's got you right where he wants you. This is the way of the cross. This is the path of a Christian, a follower of Christ. Like this is what we, we signed up for. It matters how we go through it because people are watching. They're watching you and they're watching me. And here's the thing about people. People are uh, like a sponge. People are like a sponge. What do I mean? People absorb the residue of your faith. It's like you're going through something. It's hard. It's painful. And it's like sweat drops falling to the ground. Right? And, and, and someone's like, man, he has joy in, in, in the midst of his sorrow. He's worshiping God. She has trust, even through her daughter's situation. I'm going to sponge that because I need that. I need to trust God because right now I, I, can't, I can't see him. He has faithfulness. When I thought about giving up and like he was faithful and I just need to sponge that. Joy, peace. People need to sponge off you once in a while. Don't always be the one Sponging off someone. Listen, we all sponge off people. Trust me, I'm, I'm with you. Okay? But, but there comes a time in, in your life when God says, you know what? You need to let others sponge a little bit off you. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Our kids sometimes need to sponge off us. Because God's got them. When I, when I was a child, I spake as a child, right? I did some dumb stuff when I was a child. And, and, and dad's a little farther down the road. And so I need to sponge a little bit of his faith until I can really begin to own my own faith. That's the way the kingdom of God works. We're all sponges, and we all need each other. So don't try to do it alone. If you're going at it alone, you're going at it the wrong way. I'm going to bring up uh, Ken and Kathy to close this, because I got it. You want to hear what God's doing? People think, oh, the Bible, you know, those stories are great, but they don't happen anymore. Oh, get ready because you're about to hear Acts 16 lived out all over again. So come on up here. Yeah, come on, give him a hand. You want that? Oh, you want that? All right. Thanks, Pastor John. <clears throat> Kathy and I have a, a testimony that um, has developed over the last 24 years, and it's testimony of God's love, it's a testimony of God's salvation. It's a testimony of God's grace. 
And it speaks to fam. We talk about F-A-M, fam here. And it's family, it's authenticity, and it's uh, mission. 24 years ago in January, our son Dan, our oldest son Dan, um, committed a capital crime in California. And as a result of that, he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to life without parole in a California prison. And he's been in prison since that time. Um, when this happened, Kathy and I knew that there was absolutely nothing that we could do to change anything. There was nothing we could do to get him off. There was nothing we could do to change what had happened. And we knew that the only way that Dan was going to have any chance was to thank God, was to give him back to God. God gave us Dan. We did our best. Uh, we gave him a good life, but he made a bad decision. And um, we got on our knees and we gave God our son. And through the years, the first 12 years of his uh, time in prison, he became very proficient at um, producing white lightning. I mean, he was the best that there was in the prison system. Um, he had nothing to look forward to. He had nothing to, to work for because life without parole, you have no programs, you have no uh, training, you have no education opportunities. You simply sit in your cell for 24 hours, occasionally get out into the yard, and during those 24 hours you're in your cell, you find something to do. And he was pretty good at making hooch. Um, so at the end of all this, at the end of 12 years, uh, there was a captain that took him aside and offered him a chance to get into programs. But he had to give up his drinking, he had to give up his, um, his life of, of, of doing the things that he shouldn't be doing, and he committed to doing that. And he ended up in another prison where he had programs. The, the thing that he didn't do, though, is that he was still not taking responsibility for what he'd done. And he was still telling everybody he was innocent and he would be able to get off and trying to go for appeals and everything. And so the family is that you don't give up on family. God doesn't give up on you. So when you have a family member that uh, does something not so cool, don't give up on them. Give them to God and give them to God completely. Don't get in God's way. Don't try to get back into it. So Dan wrote us a letter and he said, you know, I'm doing this appeals thing. And I thought, you know, here comes the authenticity part of it. Here comes, um, here comes where you've got to be bold and you've got to, to say it the way it is. And Kathy and I, through this whole thing, our, our, our walk with God increased tremendously. Uh, we were baby Christians when this all started. And um, we've matured through this because mostly because of Kathy's strength. I mean, she, she's a pillar, and I'm blessed to be married to her. But I wrote Dan a letter, and I've kept all the letters that I've written him, but this one in particular said, uh, you know, regarding your appeal, we still have all the paperwork. It fills three boxes and weighs about 100 pounds. This was the trial portion of it. And uh, I told him... Um, I read your letter several times trying to understand why you would pursue this. I can understand the frustration of knowing that you will likely be behind bars for the rest of your life, but it was your choice to resolve the problem uh, you had in the manner that you did. There were many options to choose from and many people willing and trying to help you, and 
in the end, you have to live with the choices you made and stop blaming other people for the consequences. I don't detect any remorse for what happened or compassion for the many persons to whom you brought pain. It is all about Dan, which is just plain wrong. Until you can truly come to terms with that, you will always be blaming someone else for your circumstances instead of realizing that it was you and it's your responsibility. If indeed you were railroaded by the district attorney and the FBI, remember that you chose the train and the track, not them. I hope you are still attending church services and that you have an opportunity to spend time with pastor. If you do, tell him your feelings and ask if he can suggest a way to get past them and find a more positive direction for your prison life. Perhaps you ended up there to be a positive influence on persons with shorter prison sentences, sort of an example of what would happen in their lives if they get out and continue doing what got them inside. It was uh, about three months later, we got a letter from Dan, uh, actually a Christmas card, and probably one of the best Christmas presents we've ever received, and it said, Dear Mom and Dad, and this is back in uh, 2000 and 2011, Christmas 2010, actually. Dan writes, I have spent the past few days just reminiscing on the love, support, values, and the right, um, and the right way to live that you have given me. It brings me to tears knowing that this one stupid action has caused so much heartache and pain. I am truly sorry for disappointing and disrespecting both of you. I was only thinking of myself and not how it would affect anybody else. I'm doing everything in my power to change who I am. I am trying to live my life by God's grace. I am in programs and church groups to look for the right way to live. I know that what my past is, it can never change. But the way I live the rest of my life, hopefully I can bring peace to all of you. I love you guys so much. My prayers are for you to have a great Christmas. I know and accept Jesus Christ. And then thank you for showing me how. So that's the salvation part. And the salvation part came because we never gave up praying for Dan. We didn't pray for his release. We didn't pray for him to be freed. We prayed for him to know God. And he told us later, actually just a, a, about a year ago, that he finally understands what it means to be free. Because he said, in God, I'm free. God has broken my chains. God can do amazing things. And it's all in the power of Jesus. So true to form, um, you know, that, that could be the end of the testimony. But it's even better because God not only saves you, God redeems you and he gives you new life. On December 23rd, this past year, we got a call from Dan and it was a weird voice. We didn't recognize his voice. And it turns out he was in the captain's office at the prison. And he was excited because he'd just finished a 15-minute call from a representative from the governor's office in California telling him that his sentence had been commuted and the life without parole had been changed to life, 17 years to life. Um, so he now has a chance for parole. 
and he has a chance to take what he's been doing in prison. He's been mentoring groups. He's been leading people to Christ. He's been, he's been doing things that he should have been doing on the outside. And people recognize that. And he now has a chance to go before the parole board in the next five months. And the possibility... And, and the possibility, God willing, God willing, that he could be standing in front of a congregation telling his story this time next year. So to everybody, you know, some of you, some of you have heard this story before, and you've supported us, you've prayed for us, you've prayed with us for our son, Dan. Thank you so much. But this is a testament to the power of God, to the power of prayer, and to the power of persistent prayer. Don't ever give up. When you go home tonight, if you've got kids, hug them. Pray for them every night. Don't send them off to school without saying a prayer for them. Love them, guide them, give them an example by the way you live. And again, thank you to everybody. Thank you to this wonderful church family. You have been a great support for us, uh, even when you didn't know that you were a support for us. Thank you. Woo! Love you, man. Thanks for sharing that. Wow. And Kathy, she, uh, she's part of the reason we started this church. She, God spoke, with her, spoke to her. <laughs> and God said, uh, she said, God gave me a word. You're supposed to start a church. I said, well, he's going to have to tell me that. I thought, who's this crazy lady? Well, she wasn't crazy. <sighs> Maybe a little. I mean, that's, that's the story all, like, replayed, you know? Acts 16, I mean, he's in worshiping in the darkest of places, prison. Then all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to hit the button, right? And you say, well, he hasn't fully been released yet. Well, number one, the freedom he's experienced already is the freedom, right? But yeah, amen is right. But physically, I think God's got his hand on the button. I think all too soon we're going to hear for him so just stay tuned for that and see what God does either way he's been set free and I just wonder how many people because remember it's contagious right I wonder how many people he's affected how many people have come to Christ or will come to Christ because of his story it's powerful